Hello, and thank you for joining us today for this Ropes and Gray podcast. This is one of a series of podcasts discussing key issues of interest in the regulatory and compliance space, focusing in particular on private fund managers. My name is Joel Wattenbarger, and I'm a partner in the Asset Management Group. Joining me today is Nicole Cray, counsel in our Asset Management Group. We will be discussing the new developments in the SEC during this changeover of administrations, including the recent release of a report from the Division of Examinations concerning their 2021 priorities. This podcast will be a regular source for updates in the regulatory and compliance space. The first topic we were going to cover was just the pending confirmation of Gary Gensler as the new chair of the SEC. As we're recording this um, podcast, Gensler has not yet been confirmed, but we expect that he will be by the time you're listening. So far, his confirmation has gone uh, relatively smoothly in this hyper-polarized uh, political era. Most recently, on March 10th, the Senate Banking Committee voted 14 to 10 to advance his nomination to the full Senate, which means that two Republican senators did join all 12 Democrats on the committee in forwarding his nomination to the full Senate. And just as a brief reminder on Gary Gensler's background, he was a, uh, had a successful career at, at Goldman Sachs. Um, uh, then moved into the government and ultimately served as chair of the U.S. CFTC from 2009 to 2014. That, of course, was in the immediate aftermath of uh, the credit crisis. And he was a very active regulator during his time at the CFTC. The CFTC was a very active agency during his time there. Um, they uh, regulated credit default swaps using the authority given to them by the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, the CFTC, under Gensler's watch, wrote 68 new rules and expanded its regulatory reach to include the $400 trillion swaps market. He also pursued numerous large enforcement actions, including against um, uh, big banks accused of manipulating the London Interbank Offered Rate, or LIBOR. So, you know, definitely has a reputation as an active regulator. Also interesting to note that in the time after he finished his service at the CFTC, um, he has been uh, working as an academic, he's been a professor at MIT, and amongst other things, has been teaching a class for several years on cryptocurrencies, and so has expertise in that area, certainly one of the areas that we think will be of interest to him during his time at the SEC, uh, the evolving regulatory landscape for digital assets and cryptocurrency. And we mentioned that he recently appeared before the Senate Banking Committee. I think you know the, the testimony was for the most part, unexceptional. I think certainly he indicated an interest in um, increased or stronger enforcement activity. Um, he indicated that ESG disclosure was going to be a priority. He certainly fielded questions from senators on, uh, as I said, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And I think he will be active in that area. I also think that there have been very recent developments in the market that are likely to uh, become priorities for him, whether or not he expected they would be priorities when he was first nominated for this position. So uh, first, the recent uh, so-called mean stock uh, activity in GameStop and uh, certain other stocks where there's just been a real sort of trading frenzy in certain stocks, which is in some ways, I think, uh, without precedent uh, in the U.S. stock markets. And there's already been a lot of calls for uh, inquiry into uh, that activity by various members of Congress. Uh, there have been some statements from the current SEC commissioners in the midst of this uh, trading activity. 
and there were questions about it during Dinslow's confirmation hearing. I'm sure that that's something that is going to be a subject of further study by the SEC over the next year and something that will inevitably be uh, an area that you will be expected to look at closely, at least during the beginning of this term. And another area, probably most everyone listening to this podcast knows that the SPAC market has been also just incredibly hot recently. And uh, while there weren't questions about SPACs during his Senate Banking Committee hearing, um, I anticipate that this will be a continued area of focus and interest to the SEC so long as the market continues to run as hot as it is currently. We've already seen a couple of signs of that. Uh, CorpFin actually issued some guidance back in December around uh, disclosure uh, guidance, disclosure requirements for uh, SPAC issuers themselves. Uh, we saw an investor alert just earlier this month from the SEC um, regarding the speculative boom in SPACs, and in particular, um, uh, sort of celebrity-sponsored SPACs. Um, and you know, I think we're beginning to see signs of investigatory activity in the SPAC space from the SEC, and I uh, fully expect that we're going to continue to see a significant amount of exam and uh, enforcement interest in uh, SPACs conflicts associated with SPACs and SPAC issuances uh, in, the, in the months uh, to come. And that is, I think, a good segue into our next topic, which is, as I mentioned previously, the SEC's Division of Examinations, uh, which was recently referred to as OC, but is now its own division, uh, recently uh, released a report on its 2021 priorities. And I'm going to turn things over to Nicole to talk more about uh, that document. Thanks, Joel. As Joel mentioned, on March 3rd, the SEC Division of Examinations published its 2021 examination priorities. Much like last year, there's nothing terribly groundbreaking or novel in the priorities, but as always, they do give us some useful insight into what the SEC will focus on during the new administration and the ways in which the COVID pandemic and work from home have influenced the focus for the coming year. Generally speaking, for registered advisors, the 2021 examination priorities indicated that examiners will be focusing on things like portfolio management practices, custody, best execution, fees and expenses, and not surprisingly, given the current environment, business continuity plans and valuation of client assets for consistency and appropriateness of methodology. And as mentioned, that, that last piece is not surprising and it's consistent with what we've been seeing in exams during this past year during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Examinations will also focus on whether advisors have sufficient resources to perform core compliance responsibilities, and not surprisingly, for advisors that have not been examined for a number of years, the SEC is also going to be looking at whether compliance programs with those advisors have been appropriately adapted in light of any substantial growth or change in their business models. And of course, the SEC will be looking at never-before-examined advisors, and will also be looking at advisors that are duly registered or affiliated with broker-dealers or have supervised persons that are registered representatives of unaffiliated broker-dealers. One key focus of SEC examinations, as indicated in the examination priorities, will be, not surprisingly, ESG. As expected, examiners will continue to review the consistency and adequacy of the disclosures that advisors provide to clients regarding ESG practices. Um, 
the SEC is going to be looking to determine whether those firms' processes and practices match their disclosure and taking a look at advertising materials for false or misleading statements. Um, the SEC has been signaling this for some time, and um, as has been the case, firms will generally be well served in this area to assess their ESG disclosures and representations to, to ensure that their practices are, in fact, consistent. Another area of continued focus, um, and this is certainly nothing new, is the area of fiduciary duty and conflicts of interest. As we've seen for many years now, examiners are going to continue to focus on fees and expenses, conflicts related to complex products, best execution, and as always, undisclosed or inadequately disclosed compensation arrangements. And I'll actually hand it over to Joel to continue through some of the additional SEC enforcement priorities. Great. Thank you, Nicole. So I'll just cover a couple of the topics in the report. The first uh, falls under the broad heading of fraud, sales practices, and conflicts within the Division of Exam Report. And the issues identified in the report specifically are first, how firms are complying with recent changes in the definition of accredited investor when recommending and selling certain private offerings. I think for most of our clients, that's not going to be a huge issue, but you should be aware that that's something that is uh, amongst the exam staff's priorities. Um, secondly, revenue sharing arrangements between an advisor and issues service providers and others. And third, sort of a, a, several different issues around management fee calculations, including uh, errors in calculating advisory fees, uh, failure to refund prepaid fees for terminated accounts, and then what I would say is the most significant, in my view, um, is, is uh, written down investments and how firms are going about the process of analyzing and ultimately writing down investments where writing down those investments means that they're excluded from the definition of invested capital for purposes of calculating management fees. We're seeing a lot of attention on that specific issue on exams currently. And so it's important that firms are really being rigorous in terms of their process for uh, valuing and writing down or writing off assets, particularly when, when the value of those assets then determines um, the base for uh, advisory fees. And then the next set of topics is information security and operational resiliency. Certainly during the COVID era, we've seen uh, a lot of focus in this space, um, including the effect of remote operations, our firms ensuring that they have appropriate um, safeguarding of customer accounts, overseeing their vendors and service providers, addressing uh, phishing and other malicious email activities, responding to data breach incidents, and managing risk generally from work from home, where you may have personnel who are accessing uh, firm systems in ways that wasn't the case previously and, and, and may create greater risks. Um, we've also seen the SEC uh, asking advisors to ensure that their business continuity plans adequately account for the risks created by various forms of disruption, but in particular climate change. And there's a emphasis across the SEC now in incorporating concerns over climate change into a number of their regulatory priorities more generally. And one of those is going to be looking at whether advisors have taken into account risks from climate change in their own practices. Um, I will say that while we've seen a lot of exam inquiries in this space over the last year during COVID, uh, we haven't seen a lot of deficiencies in this space. So 
I think these are issues that our clients are already focused on, um, but you should be prepared to answer questions about these topics on exam. And with that, I'll turn it back to Nicole. Thanks, Joel. A particular focus in the financial technology and innovation um, segment of the SEC priorities um, was on digital asset investments, and specifically the following topics whether those digital asset investments are in the best interest of investors, portfolio management and trading practices, safety of client assets, and as, as we know, kind of the, the, the custody rule-related issues related to digital assets has been an ongoing question, pricing and valuation, effectiveness of compliance programs and controls, and supervision of representatives' outside business activities, and that will continue to be an SEC focus. Another area of, of interest on exams will be the LIBOR transition. Um, the SEC has indicated this in other contexts, um, but it will be one of the SEC's uh, examination priorities to focus on firms' preparedness for the discontinuation of LIBOR and the transition to an alternative reference rate. Finally, specific to private fund managers, the SEC indicated that there will be a focus on preferential treatment of certain investors by advisors to private funds that have experienced issues with liquidity. They'll be looking at portfolio valuations and their impact on management fees, issues regarding disclosure and compliance with regulatory requirements of cross-trades and principal trades or distressed sales, and conflicts around liquidity, such as advisor-led fund restructurings, um, which is something that we've, we've all sort of seen a, a focus on in, in exams during the last few years. The SEC also indicated that in the private fund space, examiners are going to be focusing on advisors to private funds that have a higher concentration of structured products, such as CLOs and mortgage-backed securities, to assess whether those funds are at a higher risk for holding non-performing loans and having loans with higher default risk than disclosed to investors. And finally, examiners are going to be looking at advisors to private funds where, again, not surprisingly in the current COVID era, where there may have been material impacts on portfolio companies owned by the private fund. For example, certain real estate investments that may have been hit particularly hard um, due to recent economic conditions. And with that, um, I will hand it back over to Joel for a couple of additional regulatory updates. Thanks, Nicole. Um, I'll maybe add one more observation with respect to the Division of Exam report on its 2021 priorities, which is simply to observe that that document, though it's full of uh, good insight into what the division is thinking, it is just a snapshot of a sort of a moment in time. And given the bureaucratic process, if anything, it's probably a snapshot of a moment of time months ago um, in, in terms of much of the content of that report. And so it's important not to assume that the items appearing in that report are the only or even the primary priorities of the SEC over the course of the year. And so areas that has become a real focus of market activity or in which the SEC is seeing evidence of wrongdoing from its you know, ongoing exam and enforcement activity can become priorities over the course of the year. I think the you know, SPACs, SPAC offerings and conflicts is uh, you know, a classic example of something that I expect is going to be a priority, even though it wasn't given a place of prominence in the report. With that having been said, just had one other quick regulatory update we wanted to be sure folks are aware of, which is I'm sure uh, probably everyone listening to this podcast is aware that there was a new marketing rule that was adopted by the commission last December uh, that will take the place of the old advertising rule and the old cash solicitation rule. 
Uh, we have been waiting for that rule to be published in the Federal Register. That finally happened earlier this month. And the reason that's significant is because we now know what both the effective date and the compliance date of the rule will be. So the effective date will be May 4th, 2021, and the compliance date will be November 4th, 2022. So the rule provides for an 18-month transition period, thankfully, so advisors do have a long period to prepare their uh, marketing materials and their process for creating and reviewing uh, marketing materials. Um, to ensure that they are complying with the rule. Uh, but we now have a date certain, again, at next November, November 2022, by which firms will be required to comply with the rule. Thank you all for joining us. And thank you to my co-host, Nicole. Please watch this space for more podcasts like this one, where we will continue to keep you up to date with key regulatory developments. For more information on the topics that we discussed or other topics of interest to the asset management community, please visit our website, www.ropesgray.com. And of course, if we can help you navigate any of the topics we've discussed, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can also subscribe and listen to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.